from our studios in the heart of New York City, it's The Hearst Show. My guest this week is television executive and game show historian Bob Bowden. I'm Kyle Sarah, and now here's our host, Kyle Hershon. Kyle Sarah, as always, thank you very much for that introduction. Welcome everybody to the Hearst Show. It's been a while since we've been on the air, but you know what? We're back and back and ready to go for the summertime. And my guest today has over a hundred television series with his name on it as well as specials for daytime, primetime, late night, children's programming. He's got credits with CBS, NBC, ABC, Fox, as well as Game Show Network, The Family Channel, and so many others. And now he's helping curate a brand new game show exhibit. And it's my pleasure to welcome Mr. Bob Bowden to The Hearst Show. Thank you, Kyle. Appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me. No, man, this is a lot of fun. Now, I, I want to talk about this museum, the Strong Museum of Play, which is ro- uh, located in Rochester, New York. Uh, tell me about this new thing that you're curating with Howard Blumenthal. Yeah, well, uh, it all started uh, a, a few months back when uh, Howard mentioned to me that uh, he has a, a several boxes of memorabilia going back to the quiz show scandal era because Norm Blumenthal was one of the original producers of Concentration and was was heavily involved in 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 uh, production and development in that era. So he's got all this stuff and doesn't know what to do with it and wants to find a, you know, a happy home for it. Uh, So he uh, is familiar with Rochester and the museum and he contacted them and he you do video games, you do toys, you do dolls, you do pinball machines. What about game shows? And they said, well, we'd love to be involved in game shows. We just don't have connections there. And he said, well, I got a guy. Uh, so he connected them with me. And, you know, Howard has a a, a, a great past in, in game shows as well, having created and produced uh, Carmen Sandiego and going back to the concentration days and the beginnings of Nickelodeon and all the game shows they did. Uh, so he knows his stuff, but I, I'm kind of in the community. So he, he set them up with me and uh, we, we started a dialogue. And, uh, they decided uh, a couple months ago that this was worthy of an investment from them to, uh, to announce this uh, National Archives of, uh, of Game Show History. And uh, it was announced uh, about uh, nine days ago, and the, the publicity and the, the response has just been an avalanche. I mean, we, we had no uh, clue that there would be this much attention paid to, to this, uh, this effort, but we're so thrilled because uh, gay shows have long been uh, ignored and disrespected, and, and it is time that they get their due. And now there's going to be a real place, a real home for for memorabilia and, and donations. And and it's it's going to be uh, I, I can't I can't wait to see it when it opens. It's going to be fantastic. I mean, uh, when I first read about this, I'm like, OK, I know there's going to be some amazing stuff. Now you've got a massive collection of games from memorabilia, as we can see behind you. That's just not even a, a chunk of it. I know you've got a lot of stuff. Now, what exactly can we expect to see at this museum? Well, 
in the in the uh, earliest days of this, it's going to be um, as they gather materials. It's going to be more of a kind of a research center where people can find uh, old uh, scripts and rundowns and notes and questions and stunts and set designs and you know essentially electronic uh, 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 donations of, of you know what was on paper and and in in you know art form. Um, and then eventually they're going to amass a collection, uh, much of which I'll give to them, um, of stuff, of, uh, of props and podiums and set pieces and, and you know, souvenirs and promotional materials, marketing materials, uh, all kinds of stuff that covers the gamut of game shows, past and present. Uh, this is not just about ancient history. This is about today's game shows as well. And uh, eventually uh, they will open up an exhibit space and create a home. Um, and, and it will likely travel around the country as well so that it won't just be about people who go to Rochester. Uh, it'll be available. So um, it, it, it's a completely blank slate now. It's whatever we want this to be. Um, and and uh, many people have come out of the woodwork to say, hey, I've got this and I've got that and I've got my notes and I've got my scripts and, hey, there's some set pieces lying around and do you want this and do you want that? And our answer to everybody right now is yes. Uh, we will take anything. They will they will hang on to it. They'll protect it. They'll preserve it. And one day they'll display it. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'll be more than happy to actually... Uh, donate this to the museum uh i got this as a gift uh from uh the late mark corwin about 15 years ago and uh all right and it said inside it's something we can't do oh. now but uh yes th- this was a gift to me when i was eight years old i'll be more than happy to to put this in a, in a oh. much more protective place that's sweet thank you thank you that that everything like that is is valuable and it you know so many people have different memories about game shows, whether it's game shows that they grew up with or game shows that they tried out for, game shows that they appeared on. Um, I would like to think that most people have had positive experiences with game shows, that that uh, whatever uh, little fame or fortune they may have been, been able to achieve uh, through uh, being a contestant, up to life-changing experiences. Uh, I mean, many people have, you know, have uh, paid off their homes or their cars or, or, or their debts uh, from money they won on game shows uh, and have enjoyed uh, the, the, the cash and merchandise. Um, so uh, it, it's, a, it's a great genre, and uh, I can't believe nobody has ever done this up until now. It's so long <laughs> overdue. Yeah, I mean, because I mean, I appeared on Wheel of Fortune about five years ago, uh, and even though I didn't really win much, uh, it was still a life changing experience because the people I got to meet afterwards. This is where I'm kind of getting this connection with people in the game show world. Uh, I've been able to meet so many amazing people, um, uh, people that have been close to you, uh, especially. Uh, And unfortunately, since uh, I've known these people, I can't be on game shows, you know, most game shows now. But you know what? The, The matter of the fact is I got to be on one. I might be on another one, but we'll save that for later. Uh, okay. 
<laughs> but uh, just just the, the camaraderie with the people that share the same passion. That's what I think is the best part about this whole genre of television. It's when I talked about this with Mark Summers a couple of months ago, um, when I talked about this with Mark, we, we basically said this was like the only feel good reality television. Nobody gets embarrassed. Nobody gets voted off. Uh, and that's the generally the premise of it all. Yeah, I mean, some ga- game shows are kinder than others, and 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 there are instances where where people get eliminated or lose. You know, for for every winner, you you will have a loser or two. But uh, for the most part, even the people who don't win have a great time. And when I brief contestants, which they'll do for for our show, funny you should ask, I, I say to them. You know, whether you win or lose today, we want you to have one of the best days of your life being with us. And most of them, I would say darn near all of them, leave happy, even if they don't have anything to show for it. Exactly. I think that's what basically that's why mostly every American wants to be on a game show so they can have that brief moment of happiness in their time of uh, I mean, who knows what they could be going through at home. But that little uh, bit of euphoria and joy, I think, what really stands game shows apart. And as you said, it needs to be shown more respect. (laughs) Indeed. Now, uh, I want to know about how you became interested in the game show world and what, what sparked everything for you. I mean, as my mom uh, told me many, many moons ago, uh, she said that I was watching wheel of fortune, according to her, as soon as I came out of the womb, (laughs) but I want to know how that sparked interest with you. Well, it's pretty much the same story for me, different shows, uh, because I'm just a couple years older than you. Um, (laughs) But uh, I I loved game shows uh, as far back as as I can remember. And I knew that you had to be six years old to attend a taping of a game show. And I remember counting down the days till I was six when my mom could take me to see a taping of a show. And sure enough, I turned six and I asked her to take me to see Password. And Password was taping in what is now called the Ed Sullivan Theater on on Broadway. And that day changed my life. I mean, I, I have vivid memories of sitting in the balcony it's where Stephen Colbert does his show today. I was just there and, not too long ago, actually. <laughs> and I was looking down. Uh, we only had a black and white TV set at home. OK, this was this was 1965. Right. And so I had never seen uh, any TV show in color. And here I am watching a show live that I had seen on TV and it's in color and it's vibrant and it's exciting and they had this, it was like a jumbotron in the balcony for people who couldn't see the stage very well because the, 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 the stage jutted out so far that you couldn't see everything on it from the balcony where we were seated. So they had this huge TV, the biggest TV I had ever seen in my life at that point. Of course, I was kind of little. Uh, and I remember that, that moment or I said, this is what I want to do when I grow up. And I remember saying that to my mom. I remember saying when I grow up and, you know, it's like, 
well, wouldn't you rather be a doctor or a lawyer? Because uh, that was the, the kind of the standard. Um, and I, I just knew this was going to be my life's passion. Um, and uh, I, I, I never looked back. I never, you know, I followed up. And I, uh, when I was 18, um, I got on a plane, came to L.A. To, to follow this dream. I didn't know a soul California, but I had been to dozens and dozens and dozens of tapings of shows in New York, and there weren't that many. So I went to a lot of them. Uh, but, you know, 30 Rockefeller Plaza was a home for me in the summer. Uh, everything they did at, at uh, the Elysee Theater, which sadly is gone, uh, 202 West 58th Street. Uh, I would go to see Pyramid uh, frequently on days off from school and summers. And uh, I couldn't get enough of it. Uh, but I knew if I wanted to work in this, I really had to come to L.A. Uh, and so I got accepted to UCLA, fortunately, and just arrived here. And uh, I started, you know, has become my my uh, chasing of my dream. You know, and, and I'm trying to do the same thing here. Um, I mean, it's it's a tough business. It's actually a very cutthroat business nowadays. But uh, I'm sure somebody out there who really has the same passion as the both of us do, uh, I'm sure one day that that magic spark will arrive and somebody will get that opportunity. Uh, now, looking at today's uh, era of game shows, you see this a lot with um, – ABC especially, now that the bigger classics have come back on the air. Um, you know, why do you believe, in your opinion, why do you believe game shows have become so popular in today's world, especially with the classic titles? Well, you know, this this started uh, a few years ago, but it's really taken off in the last two to three years. And I think there's a few reasons for it. I think We've been living in a very turbulent society, uh, politically turbulent, uh, health challenges with the pandemic, uh, financial challenges that are largely related to the pandemic. And, uh, you know, there's just there's just so much negativity out there about about life. And game shows are an escape. They're comfort food. They're, they're something that you can participate in. There's something that, that will make you, make you feel smart. They'll, they'll, they'll uh, entertain you. You laugh at them. You yell at your television set with answers. Uh, and I think that is a, is a huge uh, part of the renaissance of, of game shows. And, and in terms of the classic shows, I, I think that the, the chief architect of this is a gentleman named Rob Mills uh, at ABC, um, who is a, a game show fan, uh, an enthusiast, a supporter. And he really had the vision uh, to start off with Family Feud because it was it was wildly popular since Steve Harvey took over. And and he believed that there was a primetime play for it. He put that on in primetime in the summer. And from that, he has built and built and built. And he realized that the classic formats not only are just as good or better than of the newer shows that have come and gone since, but they establish a bond between the generations. So families 
can watch these shows together and I will remember the old press your luck because I worked on it. Uh, and, and you'll remember the, the, the old press your luck because you grew up on the reruns of it. Correct. And now my, my daughter, uh, who just turned 18, she knows the new press your luck and we can compare stories and we watch it together, uh, every week. And, uh, we, we, you know, she'll say to me, dad, is that an original whammy or is that a new whammy? Uh, and, and I'll know, I, I remember what the original whammies were and the ones that they have, uh, you know, remade and the ones that are that are new. Um, and so there's a bond between us over this game show format that is, you know, something that you can't you can't achieve that from any other form of television. Uh, the, the, the combination of the, the 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 current value of them and the nostalgic value. So. You know, all of us in the game show industry are, are grateful to Rob Mills uh, for for putting himself on the line and saying, "I believe in in the revivals in the old formats because I know that they're great shows." And he's also not just redone them, but for the most part, he stayed true to them. And it's the same same music or a version of the same music. It's the same set design or a version of the same set design. There's an authenticity that that he has stood for and and uh uh created that is just it's it's so heartwarming to all of us fans yeah and i totally agree and, and you know i've been watching uh really more than anything i've been watching the new pressure luck with elizabeth banks and initially i'm sure a lot of game show fans were a bit uh, hesitant at first uh, but she has really grown into the role and she has done an amazing job of keeping the show fresh and exciting and all the, these funny prizes that keep coming up <laughs> like i see the the pool table for dan is back the flicati rug and then i'm, I'm seeing the new things i'm seeing like bagels and cream cheese for 10 years and pizza yeah. for life i mean <laughs> some of yeah. these quirky prizes Obviously, it definitely can appeal to the younger generation, but I love seeing the the, the uh, original contestants coming back for a second shot as well. Yeah, they, they really have done everything right on that show. They've honored the, the, the legacy of the original, but they've contemporized it, modernized it. I think the the personalized prize aspect is genius um, because even though they mean a lot to the people who are on the show, they also mean a lot to us because they're quirky and they're fun. And, you know, we have many of the same dreams that they do. You know, they might like a particular musical artist uh, to, to go to their concerts instead of the ones we like, but who doesn't want, you know, two cars and, right. and, and trips to Paris. And, and I mean, so, so they've, they've found a wonderful comfort zone where the prizes are special to the people on the show, but also relatable to us as the audience. Absolutely. And uh, now if I were to choose my own personalized prize, it would probably be, oh my God, I I can't remember. I, I think my personal prize I would pick, it would probably be, uh, oh wow, I cannot remember. Oh yeah, no, no, no. I, I remember what it was. It was. A, it's a lifetime supply of pizza. <laughs> there you go. There you go. A lifetime uh, supply of pizza. 
I, I can't I can't fault you on the pizza choice. Mine would be <laughs> mine would be uh, an open ticket to see a taping of every game show in the world. That's beautiful. Send me send me to Europe. Let me go to every version of every game show that production at that time and every game show that's in the U.S. and know that I've got the equivalent of the golden ticket to just be <laughs> welcomed at every game show anywhere in the world. That would be my that would be my personalized price. Absolutely. Price. You can't put a price on that because it's essentially priceless in a way. It's it's one of the coolest things in the world. Now, I, I want to continue on pressure. Look, you, you mentioned that you did work on the original show. Uh, yes. Now, now, what was your position with the show? Well, I was actually what has become known as the suit. Uh, I was the network executive assigned to the show. Uh, it was the uh, I was a I was a baby executive at CBS uh, in daytime, and uh, my boss was grooming me to be able to take over responsibility for all the creative aspects of one of our shows. And the one that he chose first for me was Pressure Luck. So uh, they had already been on the air for a couple of years. So I, I didn't I didn't enter that role until uh, pretty much the last year, late 1985. Uh, so they had about a year left on the air. Um, and it was assigned to me. And I am just thrown into the fire with, you know, the people who have been making these kind of shows for a long time and that particular show already for two years. And I was, you know, essentially their, their reporting structure to the network because I, you know, I, I didn't have, uh, you know, final authority in, in an iron fisted way, the way the networks do now, but uh, I certainly had influence and, and I could suggest and, and at times if necessary, um, uh, coerce <laughs> certain <laughs> certain things to happen uh, on the show, and learned a lot. Uh, and then the second show I was given uh, was the twenty five thousand dollar pyramid uh, with Dick Clark, um, which is where I started uh, a, a, a tremendous, uh, wonderful association with Dick Clark uh, that turned into a mentorship and. And almost a familial collection, a connection. Uh, we became uh, so close. I, I working for him. Uh, I helped uh, create a show that uh, that his company did called Greed. Yep. That was on in 1999 and 2000. Um, and he just he just treated me uh, like a trusted friend and and almost paternally i mean he was just so kind to me uh and i learned so much about producing and about treating how to treat people um and, and he, he was just a, a wonderful influence um in my life and it all started when you know here i am you know the, the network exec on pyramid and um <laughs> it was it was a wonderful ride yeah and um you know, uh, I, I was a huge fan of Dick Clark. And of course, you know, I, I wasn't, uh, you know, old enough to really 
grasp the sense of the impact that he had not only in radio but television uh especially with bandstand and the new year's rock and eve that that's basically where i've seen him uh, a lot and then of course the reruns of pyramid that would come on television um and i was truly devastated when i found out he passed but uh you know he had a, s- such an amazing legacy that nobody and I, and I think nobody will be able to ever replicate well uh as i said i became very close with him and his family um and i attended um his memorial service which was out at uh one of the properties that that he owned out in malibu and uh at the end of that that uh event uh one of his uh his children his daughter cindy um came up to me and she said uh, dad put aside some things for you uh and let's get together sometime and and i'll 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 give them to you and uh, the the most precious of those things was the uh the satin jacket from the $25,000 pyramid oh that God, has wow. his name embroidered on it it says dick and uh and he told his kids save that for bob cuz i know he would appreciate it so wow that's how special a man he was to me well i'm i'm going to get choked up over that damn <laughs> but uh yeah he he was a you know, he just seemed like he really cared for the people that he worked with and uh, the people that he was associated with. And uh, I, I, I don't think that would be anybody else like Dick Clark. Um, I agree. I yeah. agree. And you mentioned uh, that you and Dick had the uh, opportunity to create uh, Greed, uh, a competitive show uh, against uh, the, re- the, the, the surge of the primetime game show. Who wants to be a millionaire? Obviously. Uh, now, this was obviously a direct competitor to millionaire. Is that correct? Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you the story. Um, millionaire came on in, in August of 99 Mm -hmm. and, uh, the ratings just grew exponentially over the first, uh, few days. And on, uh, Wednesday of that week, it premiered on Monday as a strip as, as a Monday through Friday. And, and there was a weekend version as well. And on the third day, uh, Dick's son, Rack, called me and said, uh, Dad thinks that this uh, is going to be a monster hit, and he would like you to come up with a new format that we could sell uh, to compete with it. And I'm like, really? Pinch me. For real, <laughs> Dick Clark wants me to create a show for him that he can sell? And he said, yeah, are you up for that? I'm like, up for that? Are you kidding? So two days later on Friday, I came in with a concept that I'd come up with called All for One, which was uh, five contestants who were connected in some way. They were coworkers. They were neighbors. I didn't want it to be family members because that was too much like family feud, but people who knew each other. And it was a game that involved... Uh, a series of, of Q and A because we we wanted to to be a question and answer show in the in the guise of millionaire, right? And uh, the the team would have to agree on answers uh, in order for that answer to be registered. It, uh, it was a little like what later was uh, a device used in a show called Divided that uh, 
uh, Talpa did with uh, with GSN. It's been on in England for for quite a while and other countries. Uh, but that was sort of my basic concept. And I brought it in on Friday and uh, he and his team, uh, Rack and Ari Edelman, uh, they liked the idea, but they, they thought it needed to have a little more of a competitive edge to it, that it was just kind of too soft of a concept. So uh, we decided together that, that the people should not be uh, uh, a, a team, but be strangers who were forced to be assembled as a team. And that way, although they all were pushing the rock up the hill, if you will, they also were competitive and, and they wanted some element where they pick each other off. So I'm working with you. I'm, I'm your partner. I'm your teammate. But there may come a moment in time where I'm going to try to to eliminate you from the team and, and carry on myself. And so I, I took all that in my head, worked it up again over the weekend, came back in. Um, and, and it was closer to what greed became. Uh, and Dick and his team liked it. But he said, you know, all for one is too soft a title. Um, we've we've got to we've got to come up with something that's more confrontational, more edgy. And so we just started brainstorming. And I remember saying, you know, what about the greedy team, the greedy group, the greedy bunch? And he said, hold it. Just call it greed. Because that's what the show is about. It's about greed. It's I want for myself, and I don't want you to share in any of it. And so greed became the title. Uh, the next day, Tuesday, we took it over to uh, the late Rick Ludwin at NBC, who was uh, he was in charge of late night, but he also was involved in in Seinfeld and um, in what was then sort of specials and it, because there was no department for, for reality TV at the point right. at that. And we pitched it to him and he said, we like this, but we own the show 21. Yep. And yep. if we're going to do a game show, it's going to be something we own. So he passed. And then on Wednesday, the next day we went to Fox and we pitched it to, uh, a wonderful man named Mike Darnell, who was in charge of what was reality television, because Fox was further ahead in that in that um, genre than any other network. So they actually had a department that dealt with with reality, and he was doing you know when animals attack and shows like that. Right. Um, but he is a, a super competitive type, and and he wanted his game show to go up against millionaire and, and maybe even take down millionaire. So he was hungry for a, a, a format and we walked in at the right time with the right idea. He loved it. And he said, you know, we're going to develop this. We're going to get this on the air. So that was the last week in August. And uh, we, we went into aggressive development run throughs. Eventually the show was green greenlit and our first air date was November 4th. So we turned it around in 10 weeks, the initial pitch to the first air date. Um, and it, it lasted 44 episodes. It, it did quite well at the time, um, but it didn't get anywhere near the 
ratings of Millionaire. So uh, ultimately, it uh, it was canceled uh, the, the 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 next year in uh, in the summer. So um, we, you know, it was a, it was a wonderful fairy tale story for me. Uh, I actually had to resign from Family Feud uh, to go do this, and that was a risky move because Family Feud. It was the first season of what is now the current version with Steve Harvey. It was hosted by Louis Anderson. Right, Louis Anderson. Uh, uh, that year. And, you know, I was I had a producing role on it, and I was very happy there. But, you know, Dick Clark is calling, and Primetime is calling, and Fox is calling, and I couldn't give up that opportunity. So uh, I I did that, and then the, the, the show got canceled, but... But Dick was so happy with my work and, and liked me so much that he actually hired me um, as his head of development um, while the show was still going on. And I stayed doing that for a year after the show went off. I, I think that's cool. And I, I personally believe that Greed is such an underappreciated show. And I think in today's world of, you know, since game shows have become uh very popular today. I wouldn't be surprised if greed decided to make some sort of a comeback. Well, that's, that's up to Dick Clark productions, which has nothing to do with Dick Clark or his family anymore, but, right. uh, but uh, it's owned by, by new people and uh, they're aware of it. They know they have it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and to think this was the first show that, that could potentially give away not one, but two million dollars, and for one month as a promo um, uh, towards the end of the run in in uh, May of two thousand, we did Super Greed. Yep, doubled it up to four million. Four million dollars, and that was a a staggering prize for the time. Nobody won the four million, but <laughs> we, we had teams that that won one and two million dollars. Uh, we gave away a lot of money and we had the million dollar moment uh, during that month. And uh, we, we allowed four players to play one question for a million dollars and one of them won. Yep. Uh, I, I forget his last name, but it Curtis, was a Curtis. Curtis Warren. Curtis, yep, Curtis Warren. Warren. Air, air traffic controller with spiky hair. Yep. Uh, super nice guy. Very smart. And, uh, you know, he became one of the, one of the symbols of the show because he was so different. And, and what, what greed did were, were two things that I believe have become standard procedure for game shows that followed. And for many reality shows that followed, because this was just prior to the, the modern age of reality competition shows with, with survivor, amazing race, big brother, uh, the bachelor, uh, all of those shows came on within the next couple of years, American Idol, uh, after, after Greed. And uh, we, I believe, were the first show to cast archetypes. So on a team of five, we wanted somebody who was kind of super smart, nerdy. Uh, we wanted somebody who was vulnerable, perhaps an older person, um, we wanted, uh, somebody who was, you know, super, super attractive and sweet and nice. And we wanted a villain and, you know, Curtis was the villain. He was, he was that, that kind of 
you know, you weren't quite sure about him. He seemed like a nice guy, but underneath, he was out to get your money. So we did that. And then the other thing we did that I believe was the first time it was done uh, on a game show, and now it's a standard uh, procedure for all reality shows, most of them at least, uh, was we did what are now known as the OTF, the -the on-the-fly interviews. And the way we did it, we didn't do this until the last maybe six or seven episodes, but after somebody had their money stolen from them on the Terminator round, which was a head-to-head question where if you rang in and gave the correct answer, you stole your opponent's money and that person was eliminated from the game. Right. Well, we discovered that when the people were eliminated that abruptly, they would be pretty angry. Uh, and so they would storm off the stage and, 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 and vent to whoever was standing there. And at one point uh, I said, follow them, follow them with a camera, put a handheld camera on them and let's show their, their deep reactions in the moment I didn't know to call it an on the fly, uh, but but I said, let's get their their true, honest reaction to what just happened. And we did that. And I, I, somebody watched it and said, you know, that should be a focal point of of, of reality shows. Uh, Weakest Link followed up with that mm-hmm. um, immediately after us. Uh, and that became one of their signature elements. Uh, and then all the, you know. The, the survivors and, and amazing races and the bachelor, they all, they all use that liberally. Big brother has the, the diary room, which is, you know, which is dedicated to these uh, on the fly interviews. <laughs> yeah. And I remember there was this one episode, the weakest link, I believe it was like the final head to head match. And this one lady got eliminated. And I, I remember I was just thinking, Oh my God, is she really overreacting about this? Like she was like, Oh my God, I can't believe this happened. And it was, <laughs> it was truly one of the most, uh, that was the gotcha moment to me of the weakest link. You know, the show was obviously, you know, with Ann Robinson, this wasn't a, you know, mom and pop, you know, family show. This was a cutthroat show to begin with. And the fact of the matter is nobody, in my opinion, can replace the, 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 the mannerisms or anything about Ann Robinson. And I think she's going to do an amazing job for countdown. That's uh, that she's now going to host. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's something to be said for the, you know, the OGs for the, for the, the hosts that, you know, start up a show, but, but also in many instances, uh, you know, they can't do it forever. And and at some point somebody was going to replace Bob Barker and and Mm -hmm. many of the other classic hosts. Uh, And many of them have, have done quite well in their own right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As you mentioned, Price is Right is probably the best example um, with uh, Drew Carey making the show his own. And now the the Price is Right has become such a generational thing. Now, now the more younger people are coming into the into the audiences or whenever an audience will come back to the show. I don't know. But now that, you know, there is more prizes dedicated to the young people i really love when they bring the kids on uh you know because nowadays or back then you really wouldn't expect something like this but now it's become more of a norm for younger people to uh to do stuff like this and i think it's a lot of fun well 
the dirty secret uh, that's not a secret is that game shows traditionally have skewed older. Yes. Uh, and 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 uh, it, it has always been a challenge to get a younger audience for game shows uh, for whatever reason. Uh, you know, it, that that's why I think this co-viewing phenomenon is so important with the revivals, uh, particularly on ABC, is that it's introducing a whole new generation that probably would not discover these shows on their own because it's just not their wheelhouse they they wouldn't watch abc primetime they're they're caught up with with youtube or instagram or whatever distracts them mm-hmm. and uh, and all of a sudden you know mom or dad uh or older brothers or sisters or whatever are watching or grandmas or grandpas i suppose <laughs> are watching uh these shows and say hey come on and then the, you know it it, it it's they're very addictive uh, once you're introduced to them. So it's just about, you know, finding ways to appeal to that younger demo that otherwise would not find these shows. And I, I personally, I think the best example for, you, you know, shows finding this sort of a young audience is Jeopardy. You know, they have an amazing social media team. They have their marketing team is like, on point they know how to get the young they know how to get the young person to watch the show and essentially in a way you know before he passed away alex trebek was essentially a meme because of his you know the the rapping categories uh and all the fun stuff they've done in between and you know when you have a perennial guy like alex trebek you know rapping a kanye west song you know (laughs) you, you can't help but but smile and the same way that they've marketed, you know, and I've got a pretty cool uh, memento here. Uh, you know, when they marketed the greatest of all time tournament, uh, I was uh, very fortunate to get these promotional whiskey stones. Uh, uh, and it came in this cool little bag that said, make it a true daily double. Oh, <laughs> um, what was really cool about, you know, the greatest of all time tournament is that there were people from different generations uh, watching, you know, as from people going to the Brad Rudder era from the sushi bar era. Then you got Ken Jennings, you know, who had that incredible run. And then most recently with Jeopardy James, you know, the, the, the three different generations that have watched these people play and then competing, you know, for what's probably the coveted greatest of all time title. You know, I thought that they did an amazing job with it and I'm glad they did it when Alex was still around. Yes. I I was fortunate enough to be invited to the tapings. uh, And I, I cleared my calendar for up to three days because they were going to tape uh, up up to seven shows in, in a tournament style sort of World Series philosophy, mm-hmm. and uh, I, you you couldn't drag me away from it. It was just captivating television, and to be in that room was so exciting for me. Uh, and keeping the secret of who won uh, was also very difficult for me <laughs> because I you know I was I so want to share you know great stories about game shows but I kept it under wraps. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, it was it was it was quite amazing and I got to take my older key uh, with me and uh, you know yes she grew up with all this and 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 has 
formed a, a passion for it, but she's also a working professional now in the game show space. So it was a great moment for us together as a family uh, to watch this tournament. Um, and, and I became, over the years, uh, friends with all three of the, the GOATs. Um, I've had them over to my house, and, and, and I've been lucky enough to interact with them. Uh, I met James first when he was a contestant on The Chase, which was the original U.S. version of The Chase, which I did mm -hmm. for Game Show Network. Um, and uh, I, I've, known, I've known Brad for quite a while, and I recruited him actually to do uh, the pilot of The Chase, uh, which was at the time for Fox, uh, which we shot in London. Uh, and I've known Ken for, for quite a while and him on many different levels uh, over the years. So uh, uh, when this was all put together, I was just so thrilled for all of them. And uh, uh, I'm just so fortunate to have them as my friends. Yeah. And uh, I was fortunate enough to meet Brad a couple of years ago in Las Vegas. Um one of the nicest dudes you could ever meet. Uh, and I was very fortunate enough. Now I'm, I'm pointing to a picture on my wall that I look, keep looking at every day. Uh, about a year before uh, his uh, passing, I sent a letter over to Alex, you know, just telling him, you know, how much I appreciated his work and, you know, I've uh, how much he and Johnny inspired me to you know join the broadcasting field and they really did you know uh, i have a bachelor's in broadcasting um and have been wanting to do trivia style shows for many many years and i even host a jeopardy live stream uh whenever i'm not doing this uh and i sent him a letter and not thinking i was going to get anything back he took the time to read it he sent me an autographed picture now I'm going to oh. shift my camera over there. You, I don't know if you can see it over there, uh, but it says to Kyle, a loyal Jeopardy fan with my best wishes. Oh, uh, and, oh, that's and so great. yeah. And even now I knew he read it because I put in my signature from a loyal Jeopardy fan. So that's when I knew. Yeah. He, he, he read the letter. Here's my um, autograph. It's over here. Here's my autograph picture. Uh, of Alex oh, wow. that, that he sent me when I was in college and he signed it, uh, uh, Alex Trebek high rollers. So oh, wow. <laughs> that was a, a different era of Alex Trebek. Yes. Uh, but uh, nonetheless memorable for, for my generation at least. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've got autographs from Pat and Vanna Regis, Johnny Gilbert. I was very fortunate to get one from him. Man, no, Johnny Gilbert is one guy, and I hope to talk to him one day uh, on this podcast. So, Johnny, if you're watching or listening. <laughs> um, but, Bob, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk game shows with you. I hope to meet up with you one day and uh, you talk even more game shows. Well, I'm happy to do it anytime you want, and I'm going to end with a plug for the show that I do called yes. Funny You Should Ask. Check your local listings for time and channel in your area. It's syndicated. It's on all over the country. Mm -hmm. And uh, make sure you watch it and enjoy it. It's a very funny show, guys. You should totally watch it. For Bob Bowden, for all of us here at The Hearst Show, I'm seeing you next time. And as the great Alex Trebek, well, not Alex Trebek, but as I always say, make life a true daily double. See you then.
Thanks for playing. 